0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Case, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I Love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode is awesome. I'm really stoked for it. Sometimes you guys give me crap about uh, my little intro, like philosophy, theology, nature, and life. Where's the nature and life? Well, today we're talking about it. We're, we're going to be talking about, surprise, surprise, the simulation hypothesis. And we're going to cover everything, nature, life, mind, God, all of it. I'm really stoked for it. I have with me a special guest, Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy. And man, when he first started getting into some of this stuff on his channel, I was like freaked out. I was like, man, idealism and all this stuff. I don't know. Poor Michael, what's happening to him? And then I started studying philosophy of mind and trying to come up with a definition of physics and seeing all that good stuff and be like, oh, no, this seems right. This is good. So um, a lot of you have been telling me I got to get him on the channel, and you guys were right. I'm super stoked for it. Before we jump in, though, I want to thank everyone who's making this po- po- podcast possible on Patreon. Parker's Pensies. How many more peas can we get? Um, you guys are awesome. If you guys like the podcast, please support it. You can become a YouTube member if you're watching on YouTube. If you're watching anywhere else, check out my Patreon. There's all sorts of perks that you get over there, uh, either place. So feel free to do that. Please do so. So I can feed my dog and keep the lights on. All right. Without further ado, let's bring, let's bring in Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy. And let's talk God, idealism, everything. Here we go. <clears throat> Michael, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast, man.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I started listening to your stuff years and years and years ago. And um I was listening to like a couple different videos you had, and I didn't even know they were by you. Like Man or Rabbit, I saw that one like way way back. That was awesome. Started getting into C.S. Lewis, but then just some like general kind of philosophy type stuff. And then you, re- I watched another one and saw you were a Christian. And it like blew my mind. I was like, bro, we got like good. We got one on YouTube here. One <laughs> of these guys is a Christian. So, um been been following you for a long time, and uh, the idealism stuff freaked me out. But um, now dude, you're convincing me. I'm I'm real close. Um, so I want to jump in on that. But before we get into like computational type stuff, um, just a, a curious curiosity question. Where did the name Inspiring Philosophy come from?
1: Everyone asks me that. I'm always like, not really a good story. I was trying YouTube handles and I wanted like a more official name. So I tried a couple different ones, something around philosophy. And finally, I got Inspiring Philosophy. I'm like, oh, good. No one's taken this one yet. So I went with it. <laughs> So that's how I got
0: it. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, well, here's another one for you. This has become more and more important to me to get definitions from people. What do you think philosophy is? Like when you think about philosophy, what do, you, what do you take that to be?
1: So I take it to be I take it to be the basis of all knowledge. Before we can start doing other subjects, we have to do philosophy. So
0: hmm.
1: if we're going to start doing mathematics. We have to understand what is mathematics? Why is mathematics important? Uh, same with science, same with history. So it's really the first step I think humans take in acquiring knowledge, and we mm. begin with studying wisdom. Uh, what is the point of all this? Where do we go from here? So that's why I, I like philosophy so much because I think it's it's the gateway into so many other subjects.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you. I, I've I've always, um, or I've been telling people like it's kind of like a back door on a lot of stuff. If you study some good philosophy. It will help you understand a lot of other things more quickly and you can see a lot Absolutely. of the a lot of the same debates carry over into different fields and that's why when you get a phd in a subject you get a you're you're a, a doctor of philosophy of mathematics of you know biophysics and biochemistry all that stuff so that's good mm-hmm. um i mean do you like the do you like the definition the love of wisdom or is there does that not capture what we're doing
1: i, I guess it's fine i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: I'm in this like long debate with some, some of my Christian philosopher friends who <clears throat> in Christian philosophy, it's like super impious. If you don't say it's a love of wisdom, they're like, no, of course it is. And I talked to all my secular friends, they're like, what, no, um, that doesn't capture what we're doing at all. So it's just random debate. Yeah. Silly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, dude, uh, here's the easy one for you. Do we live in a computer simulation?
1: no we don't live in a computer simulation. we're not in a computer in my view okay it's possible i just don't think that's what we were actually in
0: yeah um i mean so you get into uh you get into like quantum physics and stuff and um the the collapse of the wave function upon like being observed like that does a lot of work in your theory right
1: Yeah, so I am an idealist. I do think we live in something that would be like a simulation, but I don't think we actually live in a computer, Uh, like we're not running, we're not software on a hard drive. Yeah. Uh, But idealism is just basically the idea that all is mind, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to physicalism, which says all is physical substances or all is particles, all is something physical. I say all is mind. So... Uh, we do live in something that would be like an information reality That's what the physical would be. It'd be uh, information contingent upon mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that too. So like, what do you think is most um, fundamental? Do you think information is most fundamental or like mathematics or or is math just another form of uh, information? What do you, what do you think about that?
1: Well, i mean it, it, i don't think it'd be most fundamental to reality because information itself is it would have to be contingent upon something else information i don't think can exist in and of by itself something yes. has to process information mm-hmm. so i would say what is the basis of reality be mind or consciousness uh, uh, mind itself is fundamental it cannot be reduced to any anything other it just mm-hmm. simply is it can be explained in, in its own terms in terms of what it is without re- appealing to something else that, Built up mind or consciousness. Yeah, it just simply is and so that's on my view on an idealist view is that consciousness is fundamental Matter reduces to information, which is uh, being processed through minds Mm. or a mind, I guess
0: Yeah, okay that that's helpful. That's a helpful distinction Uh, There's this really good Cambridge elements book um, God and abstract objects and I don't know how to say his name. I think it's bone or bond he makes this argument about information being most fundamental because it is um, like substrate independent. It can be carried on like any kind of substrate like a like a tennis ball has information like about its roundness and its color and all this stuff. but you can translate that into something else, but yet you still have you don't have anything without information. Um, and so he would say like mm-hmm. yeah, information is most fundamental. Um, but I like your point about like you know the mind's more fundamental, but what what is uh, mind then?
1: Well, I mean, when people ask that, they typically want it explained in terms of something else. And my mm-hmm. response is, mind is simply fundamental. You can't explain it by appealing to something beyond itself. So yeah. take Democritus' view of the atoms, the ancient Greek philosopher. He would mm-hmm. not – if you were to ask him, well, what are the atoms? He'd be like, well, they just are. They build everything else. They can't yeah. reduce to anything beyond themselves. And that, that's my view about mind. It just simply is fundamental. It cannot go beyond something else to explain it.
0: Do you think that um? Do you think it's like a substance though? Like, would you say that mind is a immaterial substance?
1: Yeah, I would say it's the fundamental substance, so to speak, of all of reality. So, uh, since I'm a theist, I would say that the basis of reality is God. Uh, he is a mind, and he is uh, what created everything else.
0: And mm. everything
1: that he created, like our world, is like an information world that is sort of like contingent upon his mind, so to speak. Yeah, and so then you know we operate in that reality.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, so fascinating. So, um, uh, whew. okay. When you talk about like, uh, you got a great playlist on this about emergent God, emergent world, the the world that we live in, the fit, well, the physical reality that we perceive is, uh, physical things are emergent out of information. Is that is that the right way to say it?
1: yeah so the idea is that if we start to study what the physical is uh, from a philosophical and scientific perspective they both converge to the same point which is that we're not reducing to a substance Mm -hmm. so if you were to take an apple for example uh, you could reduce it to its properties you can explain it in terms of its color its shape uh, its roundness how it feels but all of these are not properties of some sort of physical substance that mm. we would call the apple they are just mental properties it's qualia Qualia is something you experience in your mental reality like the color of something okay yeah. the color does not need to be color is what happens on a physicalist point is when you know different wavelengths hit the eye create a chemical reaction and they create an electrical signal in the brain and you experience color but color doesn't exist as part of that physical thing you're viewing. Okay, well, then if all – well, that applies to basically every other thing you're experiencing with regards to the apple, the way it feels, the way it tastes, the way it might smell. All of these are mental sensations that allegedly are created by the brain. So the idealist says, well, wait a minute. If everything we're experiencing is mental in terms of like a physical apple, well, then why are we positing a physical reality beyond the mental world we experience? Hmm. Everything with regards to the apple can be reduced to information about it. And this is called bundle theory that David goes back to David Hume, which is that physical objects, according to the modern idealist, is that they're just a bundle of different properties. We don't need to posit a substance, a physical object beyond the mental experience that we would call the essence of the apple. So really, well, the, the, uh, the idealist says it's just that's what physical reality is. It's just this mental information scientifically this seems to be pointing in this direction because when we study the base of all of our physical reality we don't find a substance we yeah. used to think it was fundamental particles <clears throat> well now i mean we now know that particles are like these different blips in quantum fields and in quantum field theory they don't have to be physical substances so people said well maybe quantum fields are the basis of reality but then david john baker in 2008 wrote his paper against field interpretations of quantum field theory and pointed out all the same problems we have with a particle interpretation yeah. apply to a field interpretation. Fields mm. are just information as well. So everything we experience in reality just reduces to information according to the latest science. Same within philosophy. We study objects according to their properties, it just reduces to these mental experiences we're having. Mm. So the idealist is just saying cut out all the extra baggage of some sort of separate physical reality beyond our mental experiences. And just say well, what it is. We experience a mental world. Everything is mind. Mm. Everything is mind or is information that is processed in mind. And that information is what we call physical reality. So that that's where the idealist gets his arguments from. And I have a, many different ways I can argue for this.
0: Yeah, dude, I, I really like it. So one thing, um, I'm, I'm trying to anticipate stuff from the listeners. Um, someone might say, well, look, uh, bundle theory, uh, this is from like the first person perspective that like this lamp I'm looking at, just a bundle of properties all that good stuff yeah um someone like the the naive realist or someone or indirect realist whoever would say like there's still something there producing those properties so maybe i can't like get to the thing in in and of itself maybe um and the the contents are all clapping and stuff but there still seems to be something outside of me that's producing that um even if we're in like you know uh, a simulated world or god's mind or something um, so like this, I don't know. It might be like a, it, someone might say there's like an illicit shift from like the first person to like a third person. Like, oh, because mm-hmm. it because it appears to me like you know bundle theory or whatever, as a bunch of properties, therefore, um, everything just actually is, uh, and we I'm living in someone else's mind. Do you, do, you, do you get that objection? You see where I'm I'm trying to grasp at here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree. I do think there is something creating those properties. And this yeah. is why I tend to compare idealism to worlds that are in video games. Sure. So if you're playing in, if you're playing a video game and your avatar walks into a room and you see a cup on a table and then you leave the room, is the cup still there on the table? <clears throat> well, no, it's not a real table. All that it would be there is just ones and zeros, the computer code. Yeah. But when you turn and look back at the cup, it's going to appear as a physical cup. Mm-hmm. Likewise, that would be how my view of idealism works. Is that, yeah, there is some this underlying information. So, if I go around the corner in my room and I see a cup on the table, the cup is always going to be there, in an information sense, even though the physical <clears throat> manifestation of it doesn't show up until I look at it. Yeah. So, okay. with that idea, you know, you know, it's there is this sort of information reality that we don't control, we don't create, okay. we cannot bend it to our will. Yeah. We just participate in it. Yeah. we cause the physical appearance of something when we interact with it
0: so i i um i caught that in one of your videos when you're arguing against solipsism i thought that was a really fascinating argument to go from solipsism uh another thinker that you were quoting you said you know collapses to realism and you're like no i don't think so i think it collapses all the way back to idealism i thought that was a sweet move um <laughs> uh, i've heard i've heard on the um simulation hypothesis and I want to distinguish, I want to say like, I don't know, naturalistic um, simulation hypothesis where people are positing like a humanoid simulator, one level of reality below ours, not theistic idealism. Mm-hmm. They, they'll, they'll argue um, uh, about the collapse of the wave function. They'll say, look, it's that, that's just because when you're looking at the electron, it, it renders. And yeah, of course, now it looks like a particle because it actually is saving RAM or something uh, by only rendering what's being perceived. And so, boom. You know, it's kind of like idealism, but um, that explains, you know, quantum mechanics. Is are, are you making a similar move here, or um, how would you interact with someone who's trying to argue that, like, no, we don't live in in, a, in God's mind; we live in, you know, a, a actual simulated world. And rent and the collapse of the wave function actually evidence for, you know, saving RAM or something like that.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think that would actually get us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there there's really no. I know there have been some tests to see if we live in a simulation, they didn't come out uh, as the, the researchers, had suspect, they came out as the researchers suspect that they don't yeah. – those specific tests don't point to us living in an actual computer simulation. Uh, but I mean like saving RAM, I, I don't really think that would necessarily follow. And yeah. the way I sort of argue against that is more ph- philosophical. If mm-hmm. our world is living in a – a, um, is a simulation on a computer. Then is that world have fundamental particles which create it, which is different from our worlds? Right. Uh, Okay. Well, then it's got to be simulated by another computer, and then so on and so on. So instead of it being all turtles all the way down, is it computers all the way down? Yeah. So you have to posit this really complicated world uh, that is sort of creating our computer simulation. It's not the same physics as ours. You have to posit a whole new realm of physics just undetectable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's getting ad hoc. It, it's multiplying yeah. entities beyond necessity. Right. It's far more simpler, more parsimonious of an explanation to say that we are just being simulated by one mind versus all this convoluted, convoluted physics to explain this other reality that built the computer. Yeah. So it just becomes a simpler explanation in my view.
0: Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I, yeah, I used to think simulation hypothesis was like this huge rival um, coming up against Christianity and theism. And now more and more, I'm seeing like, well, dude, you're, you're kind of just stepping over into our field. And now we, yeah, we don't need to multiply entities. Let's shave off some stuff and you still need a necessary being. And I still have lots of arguments for that kind of God. Um, so it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I'm really actually excited now that it's been taken off in culture and it's cool that you've been working on this stuff already. Um, and you just have it all here ready for us. Um, so when it comes to like the emergence of the physical um, there's a couple different ways that I think we could probably think about it. Like God is a spiritual being and he's thinking up our world and it kind of like, it kind of like grows out of him. So there would still like the physical world would still be, uh, I'm trying not to be like rude, you know, or like, like uh, impious talking about God, but the external world would still be external to God, even though, Fundamentally dependent on him and mm-hmm. it's you know, I don't know if that's still kind of idealism or not And then there's another one where we're like literally God's thoughts like inside of God inside of his mind Whatever that would mean to be inside of a spiritual beings mind, right? So um, Out of those two conceptions, maybe you have another one that you like better, but what do you what do you make of that? What, what you, Which one do you think we actually uh, is the case?
1: Well, these are two different views in panantheism. So yeah. pantheism is the idea all is God. Yeah. Panantheism is the idea all is in God. Uh, traditionally, Christians, especially of the Greek Orthodox approach, have hold to a panantheistic approach. Uh, this goes back to thinkers like Maximus the Confessor or Gregory Palamas, uh, but it's more of a weak panantheism. Yeah. A stronger panantheism would be like that we are part of God's knowledge of you know that makes him complete. We're part of his essence. Hmm uh you know like he could not if we disappeared he would lack knowledge weak pantheism doesn't say that we're not part of god's essence uh we're part of his energies uh so yeah. we are no we're emulating from his energies is what i would say yeah so the way you got to think of it is like i uh, give an analogy so think of the world of middle earth and J.R. tolkien We wouldn't say the world of middle earth is essential to what makes J.R. tolkien we could picture a possible world where J.R. Tolkien exists with his same personality and everything, and he doesn't write anything about Middle-earth. It just doesn't exist. (laughs) So J.R. Tolkien could exist without that world and still be J.R. Tolkien. Likewise, you could say the same thing about God. It's that he creates this mental reality that emulates from his energies, and that's where we are. He creates these different, uh, from his perspective, these different like storytelling worlds, I guess you could say. (laughs) Uh, That's where we are. And so... It's sort of like that. It's a mental reality created by God, but is not entirely part of his knowledge. So that's the difference between weak and strong panentheism. And yeah. weak panentheism is what the Greek Orthodox Church would advocate for, not strong panentheism.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, dude, I told you I've been watching a lot of your stuff today. Um, yeah, you called that Palamite um, from Palamis, I think. Um, Palamite yeah. panentheism. And I thought that was helpful. Um, yeah. Okay, so I wrote my master's thesis, one of them on uh, the authorial analogy for the God-world relation. So it was super close to like, we live in God's dream or, you know, we live in God's mind, but I, I still wanted to hold on to like the external world type thing. So we live in like a theodrama, we live in like the novel, but then, you know, something that made me super uncomfortable was like, well, that novel is dreamed up in the author's head first. So like, where mm-hmm. does like Middle Earth existed in Tolkien's mind? And I use Tolkien too. Um, and so like, it was there before he ever put pen to paper, or before what, well, however he did it, right? Like typed it up on a typewriter, or something. And so more and more, as I'm talking with like theistic idealists, I'm like, dang, I think that like it's already been here. <laughs> and so you guys keep like sucking me in closer and closer. Um, I think this will probably hinge on what you think thoughts are and whether they're like constitutive of your being or not. Cause like if thoughts Mm -hmm. are, if you are your thoughts and we go in for idealism and we are God's thoughts, then like we are constitutive of God. Um, I, I mean, have you thought through that? Have you, have you considered like, does that force you to say you're not your thoughts or, or what do you, what do you make of that?
1: Well, I mean, it's hard to say. Sometimes yeah. we feel like we have thoughts that are not our own; we feel intrusive. But we call them intrusive thoughts. Sure. Uh, this is a very complicated question in philosophy of mind. Uh, you know, what, uh, where are what are thoughts? Yeah. Uh, but let's 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 take some cues from some authors here. Let's <laughs> go back to Jared Tolkien, for example. He, when he was writing *Lord of the Rings*, he felt sometimes that the characters were taking on a life of their own. Yeah. That we were they were doing things he didn't expect they were gonna do. Yeah. So at one point he says that he was writing and he wrote that Galadriel said I passed the test. And he had to sit back and go, and I wonder what she means by that. I'm not entirely sure. I'll have to think about that. Yeah. And so it's kind of a weird thing for him to say, but you know, like how could he not be in control of the story at this point? Well, let's, well go let's let's go even a little deeper now. How many times have you had dreams where you have people in your dreams you talk to? And you're not, you don't feel like you're controlling their actions or just in your mind doing things, but they're still part of your mind, aren't they not? You're kind of having a conversation with yourself in some way in these dreams, but not really. I mean, minds are complicated things if we think about it. It's a lot Mm. to really digest and go through, but every night we often create characters in our head that we don't fully control and seem to act of of their own, Mm. but they're still in consciousness, they're still part of our conscious mind in some sense, but they're not totally under our control. Yeah. And authors will say this about that when they really start writing characters that they love, they take on a life of their own. George R. R. Martin has said the same thing about Arya Stark, that she has just does things that she's gonna do, yeah. and he has hard times writing because he doesn't know how is gonna get to where he wants her to be. Uh, he doesn't wanna force her there. He wants her to get there of her own will, her own character development so when we're talking about this i mean it really does seem that in a lot of ways we humans can create characters that take a life of their own how Mm. much more easy would it be for a god who's far more infinitely powerful than we are to create worlds like this where characters take on lives of their own in these mental storytelling worlds
0: yeah i really like that man um i've been thinking about that one a lot too about authors and and their characters taking on a life of their own and I think like if God, oof, I don't know, I'm, I want to be careful, but there's something that it's like to be Parker. And I don't mean from like a qualia perspective. I just mean like there's a concept of me that God had. And we hear about this in the Bible where God, you know, had you in mind beforehand, stuff like that. But like if God had like Michael Jones in mind, but it had none of your characteristics, it's like, well, then that's just a name referring to a different thing. Cause like there's a concept of you that like you can't change so much that it wouldn't be you anymore and so like if God wants to create this character Michael Jones he's gonna have to be like you otherwise he'd create a different character you know what I mean so mm-hmm. like Michael Jones is gonna do certain things if he's gonna be that character that God wants him to be and so I, I think that's such a fascinating thing to think through like it, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to like mess with God's omnipotence or anything like that, but I'm talking about like, you know, conceptual truths type stuff. And I don't know. It's, it's super fascinating. Even think of like origins, essentialism type stuff. If you go in for that, then like, mm-hmm. well, Michael's got to have these certain parents. Otherwise he's just not going to be Michael Jones. And um, I wonder if, if there's something there that Molinists can use um, in helping, you know, make sense of the grounding objection. And so uh, I, don't, I haven't touched it a ton, but I'm like, I think I'm not a Molinist myself, but I'm thinking like they might be able to, I mean, you, I think you're a Molinist, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there, I think there's something there in like the concept of the person maybe. And, um, I don't know. So, so like the, the grounding objection is like, well, what, what are all these choices grounded in? And it's like, well, it's grounded in the story and the type of character that, that God wants this person to be. And so they can't be something else or the story doesn't work. Um, you can all, I mean, I go in for like a compatibilist view and and reasons responsiveness, but I like broadening it out. I want as many people to use this like authorial analogy or, or, uh, yeah. In the mind of God, idealism type stuff. Like, yeah, I just want to toy with it more and more and see, you know, how much fruit we can get with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one, one thing that's, um, okay. One thing that I've, I'm having a hard time with thinking through idealism is, notions of evil. So I'm I'm wondering if an idealist would have, would be committed to like a privationist view of evil. Um, Otherwise it seems like all the evil that's ever existed that we ever know about that we can conceive of in this possible world, all that evil actually exists like in God. And maybe you've already broached this with the dream type stuff, but have have you thought through like on idealism, it seems like evil just like is in God. And if he's a perfect being, it sounds like it, might be inappropriate to say that. What do you what do you make of that?
1: Yeah, I take a privation view. I mean, I remember C.S. Lewis saying that all, all evil is an attempt to obtain either power, pleasure, or safety. Yeah, uh, and it's just the act of trying to get those things in the wrong way. Well, power, pleasure, and safety are all good things. They're not inherently evil. So I, I do not think um, you know the, the whole issue around the guise of the good. I don't think it's possible to do something. Uh, without good intentions, or if you're seeking something good, evil mm. is just the corrupt way of obtaining those things. So it's impossible to do evil just for the sake of evil, in my view. Uh, mm. You're always going to do evil for the sake of something good. Ultimately, it's just a corrupted form of it. So that, that's my view on it.
0: Yeah. What What do you What about like What about like Satan tempting Adam and Eve? What What, what do you think? Um, can you come up with like a good that he would be aiming at in a, in a corrupt way?
1: Yeah, so I mean, he is uh, trying to obtain power, obviously, if he can get these creatures to worship to eventually worship him, uh, which we see in the progression of the fall, then he obtains more power, he gets more aspects of uh, God's image, now worshiping him, and it gives him power, it would give him Mm -hmm. pleasure as well. It may even um, give him safety in some regard, because if you know, he may, I'm speculating, of course, but from his perspective, he may be thinking like, they are almost like a shield God can't destroy me without taking, without, the, you know, his image being destroyed with me. So can't even argue from that perspective.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So I think this, um, taking a privationist approach might be helpful, um, for critiques of like omnisubjectivity. There's, uh, Ryan Mullins, I don't know if he named it or not, but he's been making it popular. There's this objection to omnisubjectivity. That's like, it's called the horny God objection. And it's like really hard to even say that, but it's like there's like we don't if, if God feels everything that humans feel we don't want to say like God feels those kind of thoughts, or uh grandmappy comes up with uh he calls it like you know body thoughts objection that you have these like body thoughts, which is super outdated term, but um he's an older dude, so uh we don't it it feels like wrong to attribute these to God or or to have God feel these emotions um uh, so, so this one might be different, so so we're saying like evil isn't a substance that like exists in God because it's a privation, a corruption of something that is good. but what about those kind of like like qualitative uh what about qualia, like evil qualia, you know, like finding joy in uh torturing someone that's like being experienced by god, or or is it not? does God not experience our subjective qualia? I don't. I don't think he necessarily
1: does. If he does, he experiences it through us. So he would experience what like me experiencing these ah, evil thoughts.
0: Sure, sure, uh, sure.
1: So it'd be that kind of thing. I mean, my understanding of omniscience is God just knows all true propositions. I don't think okay. it requires all experiences. I I think that leads to some sort of logical absurdities on that view. So I guess. I would just push back on the definition of omniscience,
0: yeah, well, so that's good. I was thinking maybe pushing that on idealism because you know these we don't have like uh separate <clears throat> we don't have um yeah separate existence, like we don't exist outside of God, so then but but if you can still make that distinction on idealism, then it's like, okay, yeah, I don't
1: think it's a i don't I don't think it's a problem because I just go back to the analogy of um you know like an author creating characters yeah. he he's not experiencing those emotions his characters are having he's experiencing his characters experiencing those emotions so he would it would be a a a chain it would be the he could only experience the characters experiencing those emotions in those situations that they're in
0: yeah yeah i really like that um man i really like that what happens i'm just going like shotgun random stuff with at you now what (laughs) that's fine what does collapse the the wave function in your view is it human consciousness or is it god like because it looks like it collapses when we look at it um not necessarily when god does so like what why is why is human consciousness able to like collapse the wave function
1: well, I think it has to, I think it is human consciousness or any conscious creature would collapse the way function. functions okay. or, and even animals in my view, uh, because I don't think God is like a giant eyeball that is observing the universe and therefore keeping everything collapsed, you know, but that was similar to what, you know, George Berkeley would have said, right. That I don't take that view. I, I don't think God okay. has to, I think he creates the, the quote code of the universe. Uh, and he's aware of it, uh, but he, uh, When we conscious beings interact with that code, we create the manifestation of the physical object, and then he is just simply aware of what we're doing and what we're viewing. Uh, He doesn't have to be viewing the information reality we live in from a third person perspective. Mm. So, yeah, I do think it is human consciousness that collapses the wave function.
0: Do you have any any thoughts on like like how that works? Like, what what's the is there a mechanism? Like, why why is it that consciousness does that? So weird.
1: Yeah, well, here's, here's the thing, is that in quantum mechanics, we have a mathematical expl- a, a mathematical equation that explains the wave function. We can explain particles in terms of different equations. We don't have an equation that can explain collapse. So we have a wave function, we have particles, something in the middle happens. This is called the measurement problem. Mm-hmm. How do we go from the wave function to the particles? So this is why some uh, physicists like Henry Stapp, for example, have argued that it is consciousness uh that it is consciousness causing collapse uh and so how it happens is i would just say it's the same way with you play a video game you go into a room and then the code manifests a appearance of everything that would be in the room for you to play the game same kind of idea it's just when this information uh enters into consciousness it has to appear as something and so it takes on physical forms uh, it has to, uh, you know, it has to sort of, if it's going to interact with the conscious agent, it has to appear in some form. And this is just how it appears.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so if I, let me, let me repeat it back and see if I got it. So it's like, <clears throat> God may not be actively like, oh, shoot, over here, I need to collapse this. I need to collapse this. But more <laughs> more so, like, he, he set up the dream, or he set up, you know, you know, the dream world. I don't, yeah, he set that up with certain psychophysical laws. And you know certain, uh, yeah, certain laws that when when an observer looks at this, it will collapse. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so how you 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 have this really great video on? Uh, I don't know if it's called like the death of materialism or something like that, but it's talking about how materialism, physicalism, gets things backwards. Where mind doesn't come out of uh, material, but ma- material comes out of mind. Maybe that's the right way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, Do you think we have souls?
1: Well, define what we mean by soul, because the way I define soul would be more in an Aristotelian fashion. So I would say the soul is the combination of your personality, your thoughts, your dreams, your emotions, all of that bundled up that's your soul and that evolves over time because you have new experiences, you form new memories. So yeah, I do think we have a soul and I think that does go on after death. Uh, and so I would say that everyone is a mind that is building a soul.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I actually, I like that. So I, I like the term like Thomistic dualism where it's like you're, you are a soul, and your body is a mode of your soul. So you have properties and an exemplification relation, but you're the substance that's a soul. And that your soul like does the informing of your body. Um if you're hmm, okay. When you say Aristotelian, like do you split up into like uh the intellect and stuff like that, or are you or are you not going that fine grained with like what the soul is? <laughs>
1: Not necessarily i it's okay. like it's just in a real Aristotelian fashion versus a platonic, okay, understanding
0: okay. Of the,
1: how they would define the soul, you know?
0: okay, so um you know, typically we think maybe like on the folk level, Christian folk level, like we live in this physical reality, and then when we die, our non physical soul goes to heaven, which is like an immaterial place, and it's just chilling, and most of us don't even think about new heavens and new earth, and we just kind of stop there, maybe we get angel wings um in a in an idealist view when you die um is it still right to talk about your soul being separated from your body
1: yeah and i think quantum mind theory actually kind of does help with that a little bit so uh, i then i hold to a quantum mind view that uh the the mind the brain is basically doing quantum computing yeah that's how we think and make decisions and it's very complicated <laughs> stuff i have a, it's part of my irreducible mind series i have a whole video In that series on quantum mind alone so the mind is basically quantum computing now when we die according to quantum some quantum mind theories is that that information in the brain is still entangled through quantum entanglement Mm -hmm. so it still stays as connected it can it can disconnect from the brain and continue on and so that's generally my view is that when we die the quantum information of the brain disconnects and can continue on Uh, so if you're a christian for example that means possibly again i'm speculating
0: sure sure Uh,
1: i can't prove any of this but maybe in some sense we entangle with christ in some way or with god and maybe hell is just that entangled information slowly disintegrating out of existence because it has nothing to entangle with Mm. Uh, so that kind of is my, my general idea and so you continue on now after death uh i still think you know my my view of idealism is that if a conscious agent is in physical reality has to look like something. Yeah. And that's what you are. You are what you physically are. That is just what a first person conscious experience appears as. So what I see you, I just it's a third-person perspective of a first-person conscious experience. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what we are. So when we die, if we go to another reality, another plane of existence, uh, we have to manifest as something to appear, and then we'll just re-manifest as a physical being, kind of like this, maybe in some sort of maybe with different limitations, maybe with um, less limitations. Yeah. I don't entirely know. I mean, guess we don't know. And so that's generally it. And I compare it again to a dream world. When you dream, you manifest a physical appearance of yourself to interact in the dream. Right. I've had dreams where I'm bleeding out. Why, why don't I ever dream that I'm naked? Why am I always in clothes? It's you're able, I'm able to manifest that self in my dreams. So likewise, I think after death, wherever we end up, we'll be able to man, we'll just, it will just naturally be able to manifest a physical appearance of ourselves in some way or another. Maybe we'll be more ghostly. Maybe not. I don't know. I've not been there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So sometimes people will talk about uh, in a similar line of thought, like, um, maybe with NDEs or something near death experiences, they'll talk about heaven being more real. Right. Um, yeah, but on idealism, it's still you never escape the dream and, and to do so, I actually think that's kind of a Christian doctrine of like, you know, creator, 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 creature type stuff where it's like, yeah, I don't know if we ever actually can escape the dream and like see God, you know, in his fullness as God sees God or something like that. Like, uh, so, so what do you make of that? Could, could God like bring us, you know, dream beings into his level of reality?
1: I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, all this is, uh, but I right? mean, it, it, I, I don't think logically we could ever do that because I think it would require us being God. To that's right. Really, that's
0: know, what, what I think too. Right.
1: Yeah. I think that's the thing: is if God is truly this infinite being, as we talk of Him uh dependent you know he's not uh, and by infinite i don't mean like an endless long list of numbers Uh, yeah right but if he's truly an infinite being maybe that's what eternity is it's constantly trying to experience the the greatness and the majesty of god but because he is infinite it just goes on infinitely and that's why we can continue to live on for eternity and not get bored Yeah. Uh, because we're constantly going to be exploring this amazing uh creator who is the foundation of all reality
0: yeah yeah um Are you in
1: in terms of the 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 dream aspect i mean yeah but, I mean think of it just like inception i mean maybe we're just like six dream layers down and just heaven is just going up like totally dude. layers to where it feels dude, more I'm, real with,
0: time, I'm with you, you know? on that i like that yeah. um are you familiar with um samuel leibin's leibin's work at all he's uh um uh, a jewish philosopher and he, he he has stuff on like hasidic idealism it, does that ring any bells dude you got it like, no it does not this is sweet i'm actually excited i get to like show you something um but he he, he has this paper I think it's called like, you know, are we God's imaginary friends or something like that? And it's actually this really fascinating Mm -hmm. point of like, um, he's saying that we're imaginary beings, but we're God's imaginary beings. and, And that helps think through like God being original and God being like more real than us. And so, yeah, whatever. Like we, we might have a hard time thinking we're imaginary beings because we know what our imaginary beings are like, but imagine a perfect being a perfect minds. Imaginary beings would be something like us. Like that's, I think it's utterly like a theistic way of picturing God and his relation to the world. It's super fascinating. So all this, I I keep doing this to bolster it because I, like I said, man, I used to be so much like idealism, poor, poor Matthew, he's leaving the faith. And now like, no, this is, this is really fascinating stuff, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think again, if you talk to people who've, I mean, when we dream, we we come up with imaginary people to talk to, but they take on a life of their own. Yeah. Some people that have um feel like that, you know, people that have like schizophrenia, for example, have that that kind of condition too, where they make up people that they talk to and they take on a life of their own. Right. I mean, authors come up with people, and this is a more healthy version of that. I mean, they, they take up, they create characters that take on a life of their own. This is one of the problems George R. R. Martin has right now, finishing his book series, is he can't figure out how to get the characters he has created to the finale. Why? Because he doesn't think, based on their their character development, how they're going to act, that they would go the the direction he would like for them to go in. So he's got to think of different things he can put in their way that would influence them and make them go that way. And that's what's really fascinating about writing these types of characters, is in a lot of ways in our brains or in our minds, they take on a life of their own.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Um, okay, uh, I'm gonna go with this direction. So I got so many ways I want to go here, but um, is <clears throat> is God like is God like pure information, or um, or not? Like, do we not go that route?
1: No, I don't think he's pure information. I and I think he's a mind, and it's just the fundamental basis of reality it okay. cannot reduce to anything else
0: okay are we um i'm oh, sorry to keep like going over this i just want to make sure it's clear like are we would you say like we're made of mind is the stuff that we're made out of is it like thoughts and well i guess is it thoughts or is it like is it mind itself because uh, that that might be a helpful distinction actually
1: yeah, I mean I I do think we are a substance that I call mind. I, I don't think we are just pure information as some idealists okay, try to argue. That's
0: helpful. Yeah. Okay. So we are mind. Um and we are like we are like God's mind, right?
1: Well, I you know, that's that's a difficult question. Some say that we are like somehow part of God's consciousness. I I think we that the Bible calls us the bride of Christ, that we are some sort of separate consciousness. Okay. And we are all just different. And in a sense, we are all aspects of that one consciousness, just creating different souls. So we have experienced separation from that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So we're made in God's image and we're conscious and probably not in the same way that he is right, but probably like in an analogous sense, um, because we're made in his image. Do you think that, uh, when you dream, is it possible that some of your dream characters are likewise conscious in a less, you know, less conscious or something like an analogous case to the the way you are? I mean, it's
1: kind of hard to deny that because they are hmm. they're 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 part of your mind and your basis of your mind is your consciousness. So in right. some sense, they are in consciousness and there are these different personalities operating in there. Uh, so like, hmm. but they're not you. They're not part of your distinct soul. Uh, But they, you know, they kind of are, it's blurry. It's there, there is this distinction, but there's not, it's, it's hard to say. And so you could say that they are, it's hard to really deny that they are not in some sense in consciousness.
0: Well, do you think that they have like, um, so let, let me just say I have a a dream Michael tonight. Gosh, this is getting weird, but like, is it possible? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, man. Is it possible that dream Michael has a first person perspective
1: Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's is hard it, to really say for sure. Is it what are we interacting with? In yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, it's hard for me to truly know. Because again, I yeah. can't get outside of my first person yeah. experience and right. know if these other characters in my dream are actually having a first person experience. Because when I wake up, they, they disappear, they just fade back into the subconsciousness. Right. And it's, you know, like what's kind of going on there? It's hard to yeah. really say. So, yeah. you know, it's it's I would I wanna say yes because in some sense they might be, but I can't fully say yes or no on that.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know why. This is bugging me right now, man. This is the first time I've kind of thought about this. I I, I talked with Josh Rasmussen a little bit about this, but we mostly focused on how we couldn't intentionally make our dream characters conscious, like if we wanted to. And how that's kind of a hard problem of another hard problem of consciousness is like making consciousness if like by by choice. Um but now I'm thinking like those dream characters, there's something like oh man, we have to figure out like what do we do with fictional characters that we create. Like, does Bilbo Baggins exist? Or whatever. Well, fine, whatever. But I could have a dream about Bilbo Baggins and interact with them tonight. And either that Bilbo dream Bilbo Baggins, Parker's dream Bilbo Baggins, either has something that it's like to be him or not. And if he doesn't, then like he's a philosophical zombie, I guess. But like there's some fact of the matter. Either he has quality, well, qualitative experience or not. And it's more likely that he does in my dream than he does uh, when I like write a book about him or something because I am conscious. So maybe he could just be made out of my consciousness if I'm dreaming him.
1: Yeah, I mean it could be a philosophical zombie still. I mean, it's just this there's this information you've created sort of like this mini soul maybe of like this information that sort of just exists in your brain, but it's or in your mind. Uh, but it doesn't really even take on a first person experience. Yeah. It's just you could look at it almost like an AI or like a computer right. program just gone wild.
0: Right. So, dude, that's fascinating because then like you could motivate Chalmer's argument against physicalism uh You know, from philosophical zombies and be like, this isn't a a inconceivable uh, phenomenon. I have it every night. Either I have it every night or I'm creating conscious beings every night. Which one to you seems more plausible? And then you can run the argument, you know, either way. That's really crazy to think about. I don't know. I'm just, Mm -hmm. sorry, I'm blowing our mind here. The more you study
1: your own mind and you study your own consciousness, it gets stranger and stranger, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um dude I don't know man the physics is pretty wild too. Um I don't really mess with physics at all so like when I li- I really enjoy listening to uh to your stuff and thinking about like the world and like man um like electrons and 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 uh wave functions are maybe I'm not even getting this right but it's they're they're just like probabilities right they're not you can like point out a probability of where it might be cuz I think of a wave as like it's a whole thing it's like this but it, can you explain, like, what, the, what, do, what do people take waves to be in, in uh, quantum wave theory?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's
0: just the probability of
1: where yeah. you could find something that's, that's in, so that, weird. in that wave there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's typically what we mean by that. You know, uh, like Eliana Pesa, as a physicist, says a particle is nothing but effective field descriptions of a complicated dynamics coupling the environment in the fields. It's not really even a thing. It's just almost like a blip coming up in a different field and yeah. so and there's a probability of where you could find that blip
0: yeah yeah and that's like <clears throat> that blows my mind because um isn't that isn't that taken to be like the most fundamental physical thing even though like right it's not probably not right to say that's physical but that's like you don't do they have anything lower than that i guess are super strings posited as being lower than the wave
1: there there are different different theories that maybe there are strings i mean then yeah. there's the, the competing big theory loop quantum gravity as well i mean but i mean what they'll say is that at, at the base of quantum field theory is quantum fields yeah uh but i mean we know from you know that quantum fields have the same problems that particle interpretations have yeah so i mean some physicists like minor coolman are, are saying well you know we can't even we can't even posit something down there uh because uh, he says a quantum field instead assigns abstract mathematical entities, which represent the type of measurement you could conduct. Yeah. So it is not at all clear what a particle or even a field is, as he says. Oh, and no. so they they put out this idea called ontic structural realism, that at the base of all physical reality is just structures, mm. information, uh, but no actual substance.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I remember. So, so um, that kind of – I only know about structure type stuff because of uh, – studying like hylomorphism and some of the hylomorphists go so deep on structures and they're like yeah you're, you're just structure and it's like what are we even talking about at this point like it's so deep and so crazy like well what's a structure and you get to a certain point and, and something has to be fundamental so you're like it's fundamental like it's i can't explain it anymore and you're like all right man that's crazy but uh all right um man that's crazy when it when it comes to um, again, dude. Sorry for being sporadic here, but I'm just taking them as they're coming in here. Uh, when it comes to individuating different people, like I'm different than you, but we're all made of mind, and it's probably the same mind. It's probably God's mind. Um, yeah, how do we like? How is it that I have a different um, conscious experience? than you is i mean i guess you could just go with the dream characters again and being like in my dream this character is different than that dream but yeah what do you make of that it seems like we're made out of all the same stuff but yet we have mm-hmm. different uh, different experiences
1: well i mean we all come from different points of reference i mean you would yeah. come from your parents and they're going to give you the uh the genetic information you need to begin your life and so that's going to create a different point of reference different information to sort of uh, view the world through. Uh, yeah. Same with any other person. We are all come from different perspectives, different information, starting points to view and study the world.
0: Yeah. So, <clears throat> okay, let me try and motivate why this freaks me out. So I think of like this, and like this is like mind. But then, like, there's Michael, and then there's Parker. Just can you, dang it. <laughs> can you see the two? Like, mm-hmm. They're still made up, oh, I guess, okay, so these are still occupying different points on the mind, like, spectrum or field. So they would still have different perspectives. Okay, that's helpful.
1: Yeah, but you could also say, take those two blips, and if you paint, let's say there was an eyeball on each one, and you paint one red and one blue, well, one's going to have red tinted, one's going to have blue tinted, they're going to have different perspectives. Yeah. And so they have different, and that's sort of like the soul, building on top of each individual mind. There's different information building, up, which is going to create different perspectives.
0: Okay. Um. <clears throat> all right. This is good. This is helpful. And so I had um Philip Goff on, and and we talked a little bit. I, I really like him. But he, you know, he's a panpsychist, and uh, there's a couple different ways that panpsychism can go. There's like I might be getting it wrong, but there's like a micro uh, priority microphysicalist views where like all the fundamental BBs or particles, whatever, whatever they end up being, waves or superstrings, they're all conscious. But then you run into this problem of, you know, the combination problem of like, well, I have a singular unified phenomenal consciousness. So how is it that I have that when I'm made up of all these trillions of conscious little things? But then there's the priority uh, monist view, which just says like the universe is conscious and um, we are different like pieces of the universe, but with different properties. And so we have different like perspectives, but ultimately um, we, all, we are all participating in the same. Um, like consciousness, um, insofar as I've represented it well, like, what do you make of that? Is, is that, is that similar, uh, to the idealism that you put forward?
1: I think so. Okay. Uh, I need to study a little bit more to be, to yeah. know for sure though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I will. I'm going to send you that paper just cause I, I need to, I don't think I can like repristinate it well enough, but, um, yeah. It's like this weird, um, he calls it universal consciousness and I guess it's actually not his cosmopsychism, but, um, it's like, uh, it's like Aldous Huxley has this book, uh, the perennial philosophy. And it's, it's like a monist view. Uh, and he says it comes, it's perennial cause it comes back every so often. And he says, that's like the most fundamental view that like, we are all, we all participate in the same consciousness and we're and like our individuation is kind of an illusion but
1: yeah uh, that's similar to bernardo Castro's view sure he, that uses the analogy of a disassociative identity disorder so we are all this this one consciousness and we are all just having a disassociative identity uh, when we are living out our lives
0: yeah um yeah so can you interact with that like like um i i guess you might be able to interpret our dream our dream characters in that way like they are really us but they're, we're disassociated from them in that moment and then when we stop dreaming they just are like they either vanish or they're like reabsorbed or uh, probably not reabsorbed but i guess you could make sense of that of our could dreaming. Be. yeah right what do you what do you think about yeah, like i mean like us and and god's consciousness like it seems it seems like we're Christians, so we want to say that you, your soul continues on existing. And it's not like we're going to get you know, reabsorbed when God stops dreaming or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, God is infinite. I don't think he's going to just stop dreaming. Right. Uh, I mean, so there's that, that perspective. We're not talking about a human who's just taking a nap. We're talking about an infinite God who, has, who doesn't rest and just is beyond time itself. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if God stopped dreaming, I think all of time would go away, and so we wouldn't even, this conversation would never even have happened, Right. or we wouldn't even go out of existence, just all this experience just wouldn't even be there.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, you have that kind of thing that maybe we just, that's what goes on after life is just a continual disassociation, constantly going on and on and on, mm-hmm. uh, and exploring the rest of the mind uh, that is infinite, uh, and can never fully be uh, grasped or totally understood. So it's just continually going on and on and on. Yeah. That's eternity. So you can have that in there as well. You just there's just no ever in a reabsorption case
0: perhaps. Dude, that's kinda cool. That's kinda cool of thinking of like even fleshing out the uh imago day, like yeah, we're we're divine. Well, also God.
1: C. S. Lewis C. S. Lewis talked about this. He's talked about how like, you know, some of the Eastern religions, I can't remember where he said this, but he's like they have this idea that you know, we're all one and we're just gonna be reabsorbing. You have the the naturalist view that we're all these separate beings, and you know, once we die, we just go out of existence, and that's all we are. And only Christianity has this this combination idea that we are all connected in some way, but also still individuals in some way as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's always kind of nice to be able to find like the middle case where you're like, hey, kind of, you guys are kind of right, you guys are kind of right, but you're both wrong. Here's the middle way, and it's better. Um, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, uh, and I don't know if I've heard you say this or not, but I'm wondering if idealism, if you think that idealism can help help us understand um, divine intervention a little bit more, because maybe on, you know, maybe on like a, uh, I don't even know, maybe on like a realist account or uh, uh, on a view where God and the world are, are completely separate. On a non-idealistic view, you have like God interjecting or intervening into what seems like a closed system and you have to make arguments about causal closure and stuff. Is it any easier on idealism or do we inherit the same kind of problem or do you do? Does that view inherit the same kind of problems?
1: I don't I don't think it does, uh, because everything is mind and God can just sort of like, if he wants, add a cheat code into the uh, yeah. mental simulation and change something easily.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's good does. <clears throat> OK, so everything is like, uh, OK, the fundamental things are mind, but the physical things um, they're you you talk a lot about like emergence, like they, they've emerged out. Are physical things, um are they just because they're made of mind doesn't mean they're mind, I guess, necessarily. Do you do you make a distinction? Like are physical things built on mind or are they fundamentally, you know, mind themselves? What do you make of that? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean I say physical things are information that is yeah. contingent upon mind. So, you know, mind can imagine something uh, and I could you know, close my eyes and imagine a whole world uh, right now. Uh, And that information, of course, is contingent upon mind in a sense, but it is still these information constructs that we sort of build or put together. And so I would just say matter is just information constructs built upon mind. Uh, I mean, in a sense, it reduces to the substance of mind, but it's, it's still more than that.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. That's really helpful. Information constructs. Built on mind, okay. Do you think <clears throat> so? You're. I think your arguments usually start with like, here's what we have in front of us. Here's physics, and here's some good data to you know work with and make arguments with. Um, and so it looks like we are living God's mind. But I, I don't think that you make arguments that say like God couldn't create an external world. Um, uh, do you think that God could make a external world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he could. I just don't think that he needs to, and so he doesn't. I mean, what yeah. would be the point of that? Creating a world that's not a contingent on him.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's fascinating. Um, uh, yeah, Sam Sam Lieben, Liebens, who I mentioned earlier, uh, and and Tyrone Goldschmidt, they they have these this argument that like God's perfect, and so he couldn't create uh, anything that's less than perfect. But the idea of a perfect world is incoherent so god can't create outside of himself so he can only create inside his mind and uh mm-hmm. it's fascinating it's fascinating to think about but it's it, there's there's they're not trying to limit god's Im, uh omnipotence they're saying like because he's so omnipotent and perfect he's not able to do this but it's actually a limitation of he's limited to being omnipotent um i wonder what just you know i'm just tossing that out at you right now what do you make of that
1: no, I think I do agree with that, that line yeah. of reasoning. I, I i don't I don't see why God has to create a perfect world, yeah. Uh, as some skeptics have argued.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, how about so I, maybe I just kind of broached it a little bit, but how about the problem of uh, like reconciling, you know, free choices if if we're in like a, a dream world? Uh, it seems like your focus is not necessarily on the story as it plays out, but more about like the furniture of the story, like the, you know, the, all this stuff on the stage. And then maybe the, the actors can freely act how they want. Does that sound right? Or mm-hmm. what do you make of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's the God creates like actual little characters, like in a story world and they take on a life of their own. Uh, they're, you know, they, they sort of come into existence and they're not entirely determined by God's will or his, first person perspective uh but that you could still say they are emergent from him sort of like dream characters and that we create are emergent from us but we don't entirely control them when we're in our dreams
0: yeah okay okay yeah i like that that's fascinating um okay so going back to (laughs) this is all over going back to uh like quantum mind type stuff i'm not as familiar with like your your quantum mind uh videos but um, do you do you go in for like Penrose's microtubule type type stuff? His his view.
1: So I talk a little bit about the microtubules, and I think there's something there. But I mean, they sort of try to say that consciousness is quantum collapse happening in yeah. these microtubules. So a collapse moment, uh, when something collapses, it creates a moment of consciousness. So our brains are constantly creating moments of consciousness, be from different quantum collapse experiences is happening in our microtubules i don't think that's what's happening i you know i agree more with henry Stapp that consciousness causes collapse not that consciousness is collapse yeah so there's a difference there i think you still have the measurement problem if you're going to take that view okay so i tend to say that it's just sort of like the manifestation of a conscious agent this is what the brain is basically is and the the collapse in the microtubules would be just the manifestation of thoughts or the conscious agent uh, making a choice yeah, so that's all that it is, and so that's the difference. That's what Penrose and Hammeroff try to do is they want to try to give go so far to the extreme that they're saying that the brain is creating consciousness by generating these different collapses constantly happening.
0: And then, it and I mean, would you call that a reductionist view because it's like making consciousness, yeah, depend on the brain, yeah, and that and you, what you've argued yeah, is that it's the wrong phys- way. It's yeah,
1: yeah, it's physicalism in in some ways, and so I that I reject that outright.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. So. Um so God has set up like you know uh psychophysical laws that so certain things happen like there's still an external world to us though it is in God's mind. Um what? And we have souls. Like man when uh when sperm meets egg, are there two <laughs> Yeah, right. Can you tell us how babies happen? Um when sperm meets egg, is it like uh, is it like there's soul underneath the physical sperm that and the, the physical sperm is like an information construct and then the the egg is an is a information construct of soul and then they come together like because we still have natural processes and science and stuff that we still have mm-hmm. so how do we how do we think through that on this uh, emergent view
1: well, I mean, I, I would take the view that what you have is a, a sperm and an egg, it's, it's the information needed to begin a soul. It, it sort of creates the, the beginning aspect of us building our souls. And when life begins a conception, that's the beginning of our soul. And so, you know, it starts to build the information that we keep building over life that's building up our souls. So that's okay. the beginning of it, on my view.
0: So at least one time uh, the physical gives rise to the mental in the, in the sperm, meeting an egg?
1: Well, I mean, what do we mean by giving rise to the mental? Yeah. Um, I would say that, that this is just the manifestation okay. of the mental itself. So it's not so much physical as giving rise to a mental thing. It's that this is just what it, you know, it's the same with, with us. We are a manifestation of a conscious agent. This is the physical body. And likewise, that is just the information of two people coming together to begin a new stall and so it just sort of begins the process again i don't think okay. the physical really i mean you also have to take in mind the fact that i don't i don't deny that there's this total this distinction between the physical and the mental i mean physical sure. things affect us all the time yeah you give me drugs it's going to affect the way i'm going to act and behave so there's this constant interaction going on because i don't think there's any sort of distinction there the yeah. physical is just the manifestation of the mental yeah so the same would apply with the um the beginning of a new soul
0: okay <clears throat> yeah, I mean it makes sense in the case of like a person um but like a pre-person like a sperm and egg before they're joined it, to me it would seem like they would have to have like half half soul half soul and then this physical construct that we are able to see sperm and egg and then they they like are joined and then you get like a full soul Do you, does that you see what I'm saying well,
1: I mean, what is that i mean well i mean again if we mean by soul i don't i'm not defining soul as a conscious agent i'm defining soul as the information that a yeah. conscious agent builds yeah and so what i'm saying is that like if you have that universal consciousness it's just uh it's just sort of opening a new window into a new individual you could sort of say so universal consciousness sort of opens a new window to a new individual and starts building a new soul there yeah uh, and that's sort of how i take it it's not so much the consciousness begins and the prior it's like these two different half conscious things and it just comes together and yeah. makes the conscious
0: thing. So Yeah. Okay. So I think the reason I'm getting uh like confused is because um because we live and move and have our being in mind and yet like I have a mind, right? Or I am a mind also.
1: I would say you are a mind and you have a soul. So you are a mind building a soul and that's what we are.
0: Okay. Is my mind <clears throat> Is my mind made of God's mind? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Uh,
1: I think God sort of just created another um, uh, co- yeah, consciousness. You know, when Jesus says in John 17, I pray that, that uh, they see themselves as one as we are one. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty powerful statement there. So, it's, you know, we are one in some sense. Uh, and C.S. Lewis, of course, talked about this as well. Yeah. And we just are individual souls that are being built
0: from that. Dude, that's helpful. That's a really helpful clarification. Okay. How about when, um so we're Christians. How about when uh, a Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Um What do you, what, what's happening? Maybe, can you give us an idealist gloss on that?
1: I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know what I would say uh beyond, like, it's just not literally the Holy Spirit moving through space and coming and dwelling in us, like physically, it's just. We have uh, invited God to be more of a guide in how we build our souls, and so mm. God, uh, who is our ultimate creator, just takes a more active role in our life. I guess you could say. Is that external? I, I mean, it's
0: is that external to I us? Mean, it's hard really us or... for me
1: to explain the. I mean, it's hard for me to really explain the physics or the metaphysics of it because I can't
0: <laughs> right. I can't
1: speak to that because we've not done any, you know, actual, we can't literally do any experiments on that. So yeah. it's hard for me to really say. Yeah.
0: I, I, was, I was thinking of like in a dream, if um, if I'm able to, I'm not very good at this, but one of my friends is really good at like lucid dreaming. And I was thinking like if he like came alongside his, his dream characters or somehow like lucidly dream, dreamt into like cooperating with them, like, internally into you know cooperating and helping shape them and their actions and stuff maybe that would be like an analog though again we're we're speaking into like crazy mysteries and stuff too
1: i mean yeah that could be a possibility there
0: yeah but that's what you do man that you you're like you go in on this like deep stuff and you make all these mysteries like oh that seems plausible this is like a plausible explanation for something that's crazy and mysterious so uh you're you're the right guy Mm -hmm. to ask on this stuff man I love it um what else we got co- cosmos psychism. that's good um oh yeah okay um so we've we've talked just like uh you know on on facebook messenger whatever about like um views on the trinity is that still like is that is that secret you're, you're working on that in secret or have you talked about you know your own views on the trinity yet
1: no I've, I've talked about it publicly i think that we need to to explain the trinity we need to appeal to philosophy of mind
0: yeah, totally. Um, are you able to kind of just delve into a little bit of that with us?
1: Yeah, I can do a little bit of that before we wrap up. Yeah. Uh, so generally, I, my, my view is that uh, people will try to argue the logical problem of the Trinity. Uh, you know, how can one being be three persons? And the way I sort of take that is through philosophy of mind itself and how we try to define agency. So if we're trying to define what an agent is, it, it can get kind of difficult because Uh, we tend to define it as a conscious self that, uh, is able to make free choices. So I can consciously decide to pick up my glass and consciously decide to put it down. But a lot of stuff we do is not through conscious deliberation. It's through what I would call running on autopilot. Like when we drive, we're often just turning the wheel or pushing the pedal without thinking about it. We don't have to consciously think to do these things. Hmm. So Daniel Dennett talks about this, about how, in some sense we create Uh, another version of ourselves that just sort of can do certain things on its own. So we have in my view, two senses of agency in our minds, we have um, a broad and a narrow sense, the narrow sense is this little man in the machine, as you would, so to say, who can decide between different desires, different dispositions, different goals, and make a choice, but he's still deciding between things or aspects that are part of his whole mind or his whole soul, so to speak. And then there's that broad sense of agency, which includes all of that stuff. So if you got in a car crash, you couldn't say officer, it wasn't my fault, I was daydreaming, it was my soul that did it, that would that wouldn't fly. Yeah. You clearly created that soul, that broad sense of agency that, that got into the car crash. So my view of the Trinity is just, just take our understanding of agency, we talk about ourselves almost as if we are two uh, two aspects of our agency, you will say something like, I'm too hard on myself, or, mm. you know, I'm always putting myself down. Well, Wait, what do you mean? You're doing that to you, there's only one you but you yeah. can talk about yourself in two ways, broad and narrow. So then just, I just say that God is a broad sense of agency with three narrow senses of agency. Yeah. Uh, and there, that's how it's one being you can we can think of ourselves as one broad sense of agency with a narrow sense of agency. Now picture an agent, who is a broad sense of agency and has three narrow senses of agency well that's the trinity and we have a really good analogy that came out recently in a show called moon knight moon knight is set up as a person who's got multiple personality disorder but he really doesn't have that because his there's three agents in his mind uh there's mark stephen and jake and uh they talk to each other they coexist uh with each other and so in uh mark is the source of the other two he generates stephen and jake from him he's mm-hmm. the ultimate source he's the only one that would have uh satiety, so to speak yeah. if, if he was outside of time huh. so the same would apply with the trinity you take moon knight and you put him outside of time uh mark generates stephen and jake but he is the ultimate source of the two and yet they're all one substance they're all one mind he doesn't generate an agent outside of his mind. Yeah, he generates agents in his mind, that are fully him, they're fully Moon Knight, they have all the powers of Moon Knight, they can do everything he can do. Uh, So they don't lack any power, any uh, knowledge that he would have in that world. Uh, And so the same thing would apply to the Trinity. So we take philosophy of mind, and we stop comparing the Trinity to physical things like light or water. I think we have a much better way to explain it because mental things can be explained as being three in one in a much more easier way than you, a physical thing could be.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is helpful. Just one, one follow up uh, before I let you go here. So, um, so is, does broad, the broad conception of agency, does that correspond to like God and narrow corresponds to the father, son and spirit?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. But okay. you also have to think of it um, in this regard, is that this is a, an objection Brian left raises. like, you know, uh, who is God in that sense? Would he be a fourth member of the Trinity? Sure. Uh, and, you know, Christians want to avoid that because we would say, no, there's only three persons. The Trinity itself is not a person of the Trinity. Well, this sense of agency can uh, get over that objection in my view, because yeah we would say that of ourselves we are one agent even though we can see ourselves in a broad and a narrow sense of agency likewise the same with god the father can see himself as god in the broad sense as well as the narrow sense as the father who is not the son whereas the son can see himself as god in the broad sense and not the father same with the holy spirit yeah so you get around that with i think this by just doing philosophy of mind so what i want to encourage is more christians do philosophy of mind when they're trying to study the trinity
0: yeah all right, last last one is there something that it's like to be um to be God that is distinct from what it's like to be the father or from the son or from the Holy Spirit?
1: No, okay. I do not think so and that okay. that again goes back to the agency there's not you would not say there's what it's like there's there's something distinct about being your broad sense of agency from your from who you are that's still you, likewise God is still. The father is still god the son is still god the holy spirit is still god and that same yeah. understanding that we have about our own agency
0: yeah okay i think this this dovetail or this uh works nicely with chad mcintosh's view of the, of the trinity dude this is good man there's so much stuff to connect in and we we're working with different people too so like I'm, I'm excited to uh to talk more man this is really fun thanks so much for uh taking the the time i'm sure everyone already know if they're watching my channel i'm sure they know about yours but it, just in case they don't um, it's it's inspiring philosophy, um, Michael. Any, anything else to pitch, uh, man? If, if I can point anyone in your direction, I'd love to. I mean,
1: I'll be doing a series on eschatology starting in March. I'll be uh, answering the objection if Jesus was a failed apocalyptic prophet oh, nice. in the first right. century.
0: Yeah. That'd be awesome, man. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Well, dude, thanks so much for the time and uh, thanks for what you do. You help a lot of people. You've helped me out. So uh, I seriously appreciate your work. Everyone go, you know, support him on Patreon and um, uh, locals and and all that good stuff, wherever, wherever he's at. Uh, That's going to have to do it for now, folks. This has been Parker's Pensies and as always, all glory to God.